It's October 26th. In Columbia, South Carolina, the sun rises over our campuses at 7.38 in the morning today. Commuters may witness that sunrise on their daily journey as 8 o'clock classes begin in the dawnlight, the newest part of the day. At 6.38 p.m., the sun will drop below the horizon and night will begin. The long evenings of summer are a memory as shadow trims away the edges of the end of the day. Today, we have 11 hours of light before the sun leaves us yet again. Tomorrow, it rises a minute later and sets a minute earlier. The equal day and night at the equinox is a memory. I'm Claire Houle, a writer and instructional designer here at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. Join me as we once again branch out, following the roots and filaments of teaching and connection here at the college. What is the place we allow for failure in higher education? How could we better understand and engage with failure in our work with students and in our professional lives? This is Instructional Ecology. In our last episode, we spent time with the feeling of failure. Now, let's hear about that feeling in a different way, anecdotally, from a life. Let's hear a story of failure from the initial situation to the epicenter, to the fallout, to the place it's taken in the life of a successful college professor. This is the first in our series of stories of failure in this season. Let me lay out why we're including this series. We offer these stories for a number of reasons, including to resist the secrecy of failure that higher education seems to insist on, and also so we can blaze a trail for current and future students to see educational failure as a moment in time, not as an end to their entire future. If we want students to understand that failure is an integral part of learning and life, and that it can be important and even productive for us, then we have to be willing to include it in our teaching. Telling a story of failure is one way of doing that. As we begin this story series, let's talk about, let's make visible some of the guides that we've had walking quietly beside us in the season. In the second episode, I mentioned that tourists in hell need guides. That's a reference to the great work of medieval poetry, Inferno, by 14th century Italian poet in exile, Dante Alighieri. As Inferno opens, Dante, at midlife, wakes in a dark wood and finds himself on the outskirts of hell. Terrified, he can't escape the horrors he witnesses on all sides. But then, a shade of the first century Roman poet Virgil comes to his side and offers to guide him. Dante trusts this guide like no other. Virgil keeps Dante safe and helps him understand all that he sees as they travel lower into the dark funnel of the underworld. We have some incredible Virgils walking along with us this season. Not only do we have the voices from our community, but we also have some writers and thinkers alongside us as well. You can go to the web pages for these episodes in the show notes and find out more about them. The first episode had the writer Ursula Le Guin with us. And today, as we begin a season of storytelling, we have another. As we begin this series, I'm thinking very much about one of our greatest teachers in many contexts, Elie Wiesel. 
For Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor who later earned his living by teaching and writing, for which he won a Nobel Prize among many other honors, education is essential to creating an ethical world. I'm thinking about how he would tell his students, whatever you learn, remember. The learning must make you more, not less, human. By sharing our stories of our own failure in productive ways, we humanize ourselves and the education we offer our students. This, in turn, creates more space for their humanity. I believe a community college should be a place of humane education by and for full human beings. These failure stories are yet another gesture, another act we can make to bring our students the best education possible and transform our communities in the ways they choose. After today's story, which is in part about the experience of being witness to fail publicly, we'll talk some more about what it means to witness another suffering, something we know higher education struggles to respond to. I'll pick up that thread after our conversation. Let's hear our first story now, beginning with the professor. My name is Elena Martinez Vidal. I teach two different disciplines, and right now the two courses I'm teaching are Introduction to Theater and Public Speaking. And I am in the Department of Humanities in the School of English and Humanities. This is from 1999, and I was teaching at USC, Midlands Technical College, and Columbia College. And I was also in graduate school for my second graduate degree Uh, at USC in communication. As a graduate student, uh, the year before, my advisor had taken one of my papers and sent it to the Carolinas Communication Association for a contest. So graduate students and undergrads present their speech, and then if you win, you get some money and You get your name on the website, et cetera. So it's kind of exciting. Well, I had no clue. Um, He did teach me how to present a paper because he said, do not read the paper. So I was happy to know that. Well, I did not win in 1998 and I was terrified too. But in 1999, so I'm still a graduate student. He puts in another paper. This time the conference is actually in Columbia and he's in charge of it. So he puts me on panels. I don't know what I'm doing. He puts a paper in. I'm all excited. Another paper. Um, I know how to do this. And I'm really, really busy. And since it's in Columbia, you know, I don't have to travel anywhere. I'm not really focusing on it. I'm, I'm teaching, I'm teaching, I'm teaching, I'm teaching. I'm studying, I'm studying. So. I didn't really prepare this one. I I knew the paper quite well. It was not a hard paper. I did prepare. Those are back. This is back in the day when there were transparencies that you put on the overhead and it, you know, flashed up on the screen. So I prepared a, a little 
visual aid, but I, I didn't bother to actually write down what I needed to write down. And I didn't bother to practice what I was going to do. I also did not, unlike what I tell my students, check the room that I was going to be presenting in to be sure everything was okay. So I get to the conference, I have to do a panel, that was crazy. Then I do another panel, that was crazy. Then it's time to give the speech. I am totally unprepared, but I'm like, nah, I can do this. So I go to the room and the other graduate students are kind of milling about going, uh, you know, all the electrical outlets up here don't work. And I'm like, what? So several of us had some overheads because this is old school. So we kind of jacked the little overhead thing to the side and, you know, had it in the corner. So we couldn't actually stand near the microphone or anything. And uh, all I really remember is sweating a lot, sweating a lot, and really feeling badly because it was just bad. I mean, I just was spewing words out. And here, this is a professional conference. My advisor is in the room. My graduate advisor is in the room. And and because he was so proud. His PhD advisor was there as well. So I got my academic daddy here and my academic grandpa here and I bomb it. It's just, I sweat, I finish it. I feel pretty bad and I'm beating myself up. And afterwards, after it's all over and you know everybody's given their little speech um, and we're leaving and my advisor kind of walked up beside me and said, well, that wasn't good. <laughs> it was, I was mortified. And just like my students, I felt like my life is over. I will never be able to come back to this association again. I have bombed this so bad. And by the next year, by 2000, I was full-time at Midlands Tech. And just as I was full-time at Midlands Tech, I got a call from someone in the association asking me if I would like to be treasurer because their treasurer had, and, and I'm, first of all, do I know money? I don't know. But anyway, it proved to me that even though I really stunk, <laughs> the big stink, it was okay. Life did go on. And this is why I like to tell it to my students. You know, I want them to understand that uh, this is what happens if you don't do what I tell you. You got to rehearse. You got to prepare it. You have to rehearse it. You have to check where you're going so you have everything. And I tell them also because I want them to understand that I've been through the same thing. So, you know, I can be just as clueless as they are. And I want them to learn from it. It's, it's like I want them to know that life isn't over and you can take what seems like a horrible failure and your life is over, you know, uh, and it's, it's okay. You're not, you're not going to die. You're not going to, nobody's going to brand you. Nobody is going to excoriate you or beat you up. You're the one who's going to do that yourself. What did it feel like for you in that moment when your advisor said, 
well, that didn't go well. What what was that feeling like? It was terrible because he was very dry about it. <laughs> and so I knew what he meant was that sucked the big one. And I was mortified. I mean, I was just, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was, my cheeks were burning, I'm sure. I might have cried a little bit. <laughs> we don't, I don't remember that. Um, or I might have wanted to cry and then just held on to myself, dug my fingers in and said, I will not cry. Uh, it was, it really was very mortifying. So let me tell you the next year when I went back and presented my paper, it was excellent. I call that learning. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I learned. Don't so do I mean, and so I see how that success is completely inextricably linked to the failure of the year before. They're yes. intimately connected. Intimately. But, who knows what would have happened without it, but it it didn't. You have, I mean, what there was yeah. one, and then there was the other, and they're forever linked. Anything in life that you might consider a failure, again, I think is a point for learning. It's a point for examination. How did you come to understand this failure over time? Because that that was a minute ago, right? Um, that was more than two decades ago, but you still think about it. Oh, I so do. as as you've you know re-encountered it in your memory over the years, how how is that um how have you come to understand it perhaps differently? This kind of ties into why I like to, why more than like, why I love to teach public speaking is because I was not a good public speaker. So I had to go through most of the things that I'm trying to help them avoid, you know. Um, and so I do think about, first of all, I'm still part of the organization. So I'm now the web manager. And so I've been through through everything with them for years and years and years. And I still think about it because it just it, it just to me is a living example of why I, I just always try to really get them to understand that it's it's. You have to research. You have to put it together. You you have to practice it. And I'm very specific about how to practice, too. I mean, I literally have a whole page of do this, do this, do this, then stop, then go back to it, then rework it, then do this, 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 then stop, then go back to it, rework it, time it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I give them very specific things, but they don't. They don't normally do that. So, you know, they say, well, I went through it in my head and I'm like, mm. that's, that's like in theater. You cannot learn your lines in your head. You have to say them out loud. And it's the same thing. You're giving a speech. You must say them out loud. And sometimes they have that aha moment and they go, oh, yeah, when I practice out loud, I did better. And they go, oh. One thing that stands out to me about your story um, is uh, not not only did you know what to do and didn't do it, which is excruciating when you say, oh, wow, I, I could have avoided all this. But your failure story, you had, you had two witnesses in the room. And I think that part of failure is who's watching us, right? Because we have the internal standard, our own standard, right? We, we know what's happening. So what did that maybe... How, what does that add to that story, the, the fact that you were witness? It absolutely adds because, I mean, one of the, I mean, there's many levels of communication apprehension, but the one of the largest, at least for me, 
but for most of my students as well, is the fear of judgment. So you're absolutely terrified. And and it's one thing if it's in front of a bunch of strangers, still bad. But then you have people you actually know that I still know to this day, who knows to this day that I screwed up that moment. I did. And so, yeah, the, the fact that there are people that I, I knew, and, and again, you know, not just people I knew, but my graduate advisor and his PhD advisor just made it so awful. I was very ashamed because I do know better and I did know better and I absolutely know better. I wonder, this just occurred to me. Um, if you, if 2023 Elena could travel back in time and be in that room and if you could be there the moment after your advisor said, well, that wasn't very good. What would you say to your younger self with the perspective you have now? Well, I'd probably say the same things I say to my student. I'd say, well, life is not over. You're going to be okay. This is a moment in time. And 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 you have to learn from it, which luckily, even by that point, I understood that I had this was a lesson for me. You know, this is the lesson. The lesson is don't don't do that again. And sometimes, you know, you can overprepare, too. I've done that where I've overprepared and messed up a, a, a presentation. You know, there, there's some happy medium that has to be found. And sometimes that's just uh, the nature of life. You have to, I mean, I could give a whole nother example of one I messed up with a horribly overblown PowerPoint that I practiced a lot, but it was bad, just bad. So it, it's it's a lesson. I have never not prepared after that. I may have overprepared, but I never not prepared. That leads me to the place of failure in learning, because you, you didn't have to learn from that. You could have absolutely kept at it, <laughs> you know, not preparing your materials or maybe kind of half preparing them, but then not oh. practicing. But you did. You like, oh, I'm just simply not going to do that again. So that leads me to um, why do you think it's particularly important to, to talk about and try to understand the place of failure when we think about learning and specifically in higher education? We have to be very careful when we talk about failure. We want to make sure that they understand we're not saying they are failures. Students are not failures. The, the, the key word is fail can help you learn. If you fail at something, which for you is always going to be horrifying. Let's say you didn't study for a test. You do poorly. Take that as a lesson. You need to study, which is why I have them do reflections after the speeches. You know, I want them to reflect on how did you get to this point? What do you think you did well? What do you think you did poorly? What are you going to do differently in the future? I just feel like life is a journey of learning. And I use those kind of words in my speech. I talk to them all the time about, you know, their journey in my class and their educational journey at college. And I hope that helps make them understand that while 
They may have missteps that they consider are failures. You're not going to be perfect. And in fact, I'm very, um, I have this posted somewhere in my online course, but I also repeat it over and over is, you know, perfectionism is a tool of oppression, whether it's from within or without. Perfectionism is ridiculous. I let go. I let go of all thoughts of perfectionism once I became a department chair because you don't have time, you know? So, and I think that's just true of people in general. You just don't have time to be perfect. If you're trying to be, and I have, and I, and I do an actual exercise with my students about, you know, are you a perfectionist? Let's discuss this. No, don't be that. We've talked a bit about like student failure and things like that, but I'm wondering about the place of failure in terms of the people getting educations. What's it in your experience, which is quite rich, is the um, the place for failure for faculty? Oh, Lord, we're going to fail, too. You know, anytime you you change something or you try something new, it might work. It might not work. We have to be as 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 teachers as accepting of our learning by doing something that didn't work. Otherwise, we're stagnant. I mean, I I often shift things in and out in my online course because I'll say, well, I thought this was going to be good. It was okay, but ooh, this one over here is better. So is that a failure that I didn't come up with the perfect little, little thing to have in there? At least I tried something. I mean, the only way you're going to fail, honestly, to me, the only way you fail is if you don't try. So as long as you're trying, as long as you're thinking about it, reading things, trying to figure it out, but we're going to fail. Yeah, we're going to fail just as much. You could, you might, I might come up with some brilliant idea, try it, and it'll just go, and then I've failed. Or have I failed? No, I just tried something and it didn't work out. So, I mean, that's, I guess that's my philosophy in life. At least try something, (laughs) throw it out there, splat it out there. It might work. It might not. You can learn from that. That, That's what I think failure is. I mean, the only failure is if you don't do something. I've heard you say that before, that true failure for you is zero attempt. Zero. The only way to fail is to not do it. That's it. If you're doing it and not cheating, <laughs> that's a whole nother, it's a whole nother podcast, Claire. Then I'm happy. I want to hear your voice. Same thing in theater. I want to hear your thoughts. A lot of reflective activities. I want to hear them. I want to know your opinion. I want to know your thoughts. I don't want to know what chat GPT said or what Google said or what some other, you know, person in LA said about something. I want to hear your thoughts. And and sometimes they can't articulate it well, but as long as they're doing it, I am happy. That makes me happy. Trying makes me happy. I don't know that I answered your question. I don't know that they're there, there is necessarily a clean answer. Well, do you, what remains for you? I mean, the whole point of this season is to begin to have new conversations, ask new questions and see where it takes us. So we're at the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. We're not arriving anywhere. So I wonder what what do you have any questions about failure? Do you have any wonderings? Do you have any hopes? Like what what do you feel? Where are you right now if we're going to begin some new ways of thinking and talking and hoping for more information? Again, I wish we really would reframe it so that failure is less of you failed, you bad thing, and and reframed it into, hey, here's a learning point for you. What did you learn? I mean, this, this works for everybody. This works for faculty, staff, students. You know, what did you learn from this? This didn't work. Why didn't it work? Let's think about that. Hmm. What do we learn from it? Hmm. Can we take what we learned? Can we now put that on there? And can we see that we're going to succeed? That, you know, math for me is terrible because I have dyscalculia. So I I really, I'm slow, slow, slow. I can do it, but I'm slow, slow, slow. So I'm all, I I would have said I was a terrible math failure because everything was really slow, slow, slow. I finally got in college into a class where he didn't care that I was slow. What he cared about is I knew how to do it. And I got an A. I earned an A. And that to me was amazing because I always thought I was a failure. And um, finding out that I actually had a little disability and, you know, but I did know how to do it was extremely exciting. Am I going to be a mathematician now? Absolutely not. But, But I have learned to, I actually, I could show you right here. I was doing math today. I do math almost every day in some form or other, not on a calculator to keep myself sharp. So that's my learning from failure. But I I just want us to reframe it. I, I want it to be a failure is only if you don't do anything and not doing what you thought you were going to do becomes a point of learning. Any final thoughts on failure? Best times that I've learned from. It's honestly true. Uh, you know, I, I could point to many, 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 many things. I, I choose only that one because it's very, very specific and quite, quite humiliating. Um, But it's good for students to know that we don't do well sometimes. We're just like them. I mean, I'm always telling my students that I was not a good public speaker. I was so shy. I, I would, even when I was doing theater, I'd throw up before I went on stage. I, I, it's, I was terrified, terrified, terrified. So I, I totally understand. But um, you push through, you, you want to do something, you're going to do something. Maybe I need to figure out how to make them passionate. Maybe that's my next thing. Okay. I don't know. That's a great goal. Yeah. Make them passionate. passionate. What will that bring them? In my, again, if I were queen of the education world, I would make them passionate to learn and to accept that sometimes they're not going to hit what they think they're going to hit. But if they're passionate to learn from that, then they can get better. 
They may never be a big speaker. I'm never going to be a, I'm not ever going to be a motivational speaker standing on stage. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I will be, but um, who knows? But I think in a learning institution, for us to reframe it into points of learning rather than failure, I think that's important for us and for the students. What a story. Elena's story points to the experience of being witnessed in our failure by people one respects and people who have power over our education. In this case, Elena's thesis advisor. This reminds me of our conversation with Centrelle Leggett about a student's fear of being seen to fail by professors they admire or respect. What a huge extra dimension to add to an already bad experience. Painful enough to fail, but to be witnessed in failure means there's nowhere to hide. It cannot be brushed away or ignored. Elena chose to face it and to forever prepare in the best way she knows how. It taught her a harsh lesson, and she chose to learn it. And she chooses to tell this story to her students, not only making her own education visible to them, but how she changed the way she prepared for public speaking events ever after. A lifetime of response has grown from the standout experience of failure. The experience of public failure continues to inform her teaching as she tells this story in her classes and as she plans her lessons. Also, Elena says something else important to the season, I think, and it's a distinction that Centrell also began to make. There is a difference between feeling failure and being a failure. We can fail at something and yet not be a failure as a person. When we keep failure in mind as an action or experience and not an identity, much more is possible. How can we help students keep this frame of mind? Now, let's return to that word Elena brought us, witness. If we want to talk about witnessing pain ethically, humanely, Elie Wiesel is a person we want in the room. By telling her story on this podcast, Elena has offered her trust in us, her community. Wiesel believed and often said that when we listen to a story of witness, we ourselves become witnesses to their experience. In other words, when someone trusts us with their story, their story becomes part of our own. We validate it. It lives in us. And we support the life that comes after the event. So as we tell each other our stories of failure, we are creating deeper webs of connection in our community. Fiesel sought to help create a world in which a holocaust, a genocide, would never again occur. In our small way, by telling and witnessing our stories, we too can resist destruction. Fiesel spent his life after Auschwitz asking people to remember the stories of others as an ethical act, as a resistance to madness and dissolution and violence. This podcast, as it shares stories, is asking you to witness the lives of your fellow community members. Now, what do we do with each other's stories, with our stories, with this trust? Our shared work is education. We try our best to do it well. We work very, very hard at it. 
So as we close, let's return to those final words from our guide Wiesel when he said to his students over and over again, whatever you learn, remember, the learning must make you more, not less, human. I think Wiesel, the teacher, would understand when I turn his statement around for those of us in our instructional ecosystem and say it this way, whatever you teach, remember, the teaching must make you more not less human. To tell a story of failure is to make yourself and your teaching more human. Our storytellers are offering you, my community, a way to make your teaching more human. To tell stories and create classroom learning and uphold policies that are designed to humanize the work and to allow our students to be human. That's where we begin our stories of failure this season. The first of our failure stories is with you. Next, we return to inquiry. Join us next time when we continue to pursue conversations about failure in higher education by zeroing in on an unavoidable aspect of being an open enrollment college. Next time, we'll be in conversation with Muffy Allison from Counseling Services and from the Strategic Planning Committee on Supporting Students' Basic Needs. She'll tell us about the results from the recent Hope Center survey that shed a tremendous amount of light on the non-academic struggles our students face that are sometimes so great that they eclipse possibilities for academic success. What part do these non-academic barriers play in failure at our college? What might we as a college community be able to do about ameliorating those barriers? Join me next time as we ask these questions and hear more findings and possibilities. And join me deeper into the darkness of fall and further into the web of our community.